good morning, Vintage Church. How's everyone doing today? Y'all doing all right? <laughs> well, it's so good to see you. For some reason, I haven't had a chance to meet you. My name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today, can you believe it? We are already in the last week, week seven of a series we started seven weeks ago called Un. Breakable. We're together. We've really been taking a look at the Old Testament character of Joseph in the book of Genesis. We've been going week by week, chapter by chapter through his life, uh, learning what the Bible has to say about how anything that doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Stronger. Super excited that you're here. Before we go any further, I know we do this a lot, church. We have lots of people coming in this summer visiting with us for the first time. Can we give it up for all of our guests? Come on. So glad that you're here. This is a great time to really get involved. Next week, we're launching a brand new series called Ephesus, and uh, we're going to be taking a look through the New Testament book of Ephesians. It will be the first time that we actually go line by line, verse by verse, all the way through each of the six chapters in Ephesians. I think this is so important, too. The Bible says that uh, God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Uh, It also says that without vision or understanding why God has put something in place, Without his revelation, people cast off restraint. The book of Ephesians is all about how the local church was designed by God to operate. I think a lot of what we're experiencing today in our culture, really the last 60 years, is we've lost touch with the true purpose of the church. And so we're going to be taking a study uh, through that book all the way through to the fall. I want to encourage you, jump into a small group if you haven't already. Make a commitment to be here every single week. We're going to be dealing with a chapter at a time for six weeks. It's a great time to get connected. You might have also noticed when you came in that we, uh, we have a giant yard sale happening. There's a yard sale and it hasn't stopped. It's continuing today from two to eight. However, since you're at church, we've opened it for you. Go over there. Somebody else's junk could be your treasure. Okay, so go purchase all the proceeds. Go to launching Vintage Christian Academy, which is a pre-K through sixth grade uh, school that we're launching in the fall. I want to encourage you to do that. Our goal for this entire event is $20,000 or $40,000 rather. We're a little over halfway there. However, we still got a beautiful travel trailer. We still have all great, all kinds of great things out there. Make sure you go out there, rummage through there. You can get there before anyone else uh, starts it too. So you can get there before then. Uh, you can be helped out there with our staff there. I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to give you one more update. There's so many things going on. I'm just, some exciting things happened this week. Actually, a lot of exciting things happened with the There Is More Capital campaign, our project to really extend, expand Harker Heights. I wanted to, first of all, give you a picture. We now have stamped and ready to rock and roll plans. How many y'all excited about that? Yep. For those of you who have no idea what that means, can I just tell you, it's the slowest part of the process, okay? We've got all the details in. Uh, For those of you, just to give you some perspective, if you haven't had a chance to look, this building right here, this is all of our existing facility. This is going to be renovated to make room for Vintage Kids and Vintage Christian Academy. This entire building, everything that's existing is now going to be in kids, Okay, so we're going to be adding over doubling our space to this side of the of the building. That's the east side of the building, a brand new auditorium, brand new common stage, all of that. It's going to nearly triple the size of this room. So if you would like some more elbow space, some of y'all know it's a little crowded in here. Okay, only a preacher likes a full room. Everyone else is hot and uncomfortable. Come on. If you think it's bad in here, we're overflowing in kids. Uh, But this is our need. We need $242,000 to break ground. We have to date, in the last four weeks, raised 144000 Come on, give it up for that. That's exciting. 
okay? But we cannot schedule groundbreaking until all of the cash needed to open happens. Here's the reality. We cannot burden the general fund with this. We still have ministry to do, still have things going on at all three of our locations. And so we need you, if you have not already given, to give. If you've already given, give more. If you're already done with your pledge, pledge again. We need you to help. I really believe that if everybody does uh, what God tells them to do, we'll, we'll, we will be able to break ground and get in there as well. Um, also, something that's very exciting, uh, last week we got back our appraisal on the as-built facility and it came in nearly $2 million over what we expected. That's a big deal for people who understand. Uh, it's not just enough to be able to afford everything. Our finances are in impeccable shape, but we cannot put anything on this property uh, and, and actually finance it unless it's actually worth uh, at least 80% or actually 120% of what it is. And so I want to encourage you, uh, give. We're ready to rock and roll as soon as you guys uh, step up. We'll go at the pace that our church goes and, and uh, we'll get there. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. Now we're going to be in Genesis 45 through 50. That is five long chapters closing out the story of Joseph. Now, here we see Joseph has been reconciled to his brothers, okay? Now he sends his brothers back to tell his dad and to bring the, 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 the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That might be a little confusing when I'm reading passages. Sometimes we go back and forth between Jacob and Israel. It's the same person, okay? He would become a nation, the nation of Israel after the Exodus. I want to encourage you, though, you got to understand the Bible, Okay, so right now, the story of Joseph hinges. It's a hinge between the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. Now, later next year, we're going to go all the way through the book of Exodus. You guys know the book of Exodus, right? Moses, right? Let my people go. Come on. Charlton Heston. Okay, we're, we're going to be talking about Exodus, but this is the hinge. If you've ever wondered how in the world did they get there, this is how. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the bigger, bigger news, too, is we're going to be talking about how God is always doing something bigger than we can see, not just for us, but for everyone who comes after us. They're going to talk about the power of legacy. If you would, stand to your feet. We're going to read our key passage today. Genesis chapter 45, verses 16 through 28. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace, Joseph's brothers had come. Pharaoh and his servants were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and go back to the land of Canaan. Get your father and your families and come back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can eat from the richness of the land. You were also commanded to tell them, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your dependents and your wives and bring your father here. Do not be concerned about your belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours." The sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them wagons as Pharaoh had commanded, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave each of his brothers changes of clothes, but he gave Benjamin 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. He sent his father the following, 10 donkeys carrying the best products of Egypt and 10 female donkeys carrying grain, food, and provisions for his father on the journey. So Joseph sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't argue on the way. That's a big one been since the beginning of time. We say the same thing before a road trip. Verse 25, so they went up from Egypt and came to the father Jacob in the land of Canaan, and they said, Joseph is still alive. He is ruler over all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned, for he did not believe them, but they brought proof. But when they told Jacob all that Joseph had said to them, and when, they saw, when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, the spirit of their father revived. Then Israel said, enough, my son Joseph is still alive. I will go see him before I die. You may have a seat.
Here we've come to the place in our story where Joseph is now reaching really the fulfillment of his life. He invites his father and his whole family to come live in Egypt. Remember that Jacob's name was changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. That name would actually become a nation in the book of Exodus. So here we see, this is powerful. This is the moment God begins to take a man and his family and forges a nation. It's through that nation that Jesus would actually come, a descendant of King David. And all of us would be here having been made right with Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit because of this family. Remember the promise to Abraham through you and your descendants, all of them say all. In the Hebrew, all means all. All nations, all creed, all nationalities will be blessed through you. There's seven moments in these next five chapters that I want to particularly highlight so you can understand the significance of what's happening here. The first moment is Jacob's prophecy about Egypt. God speaks to Jacob about Egypt. I'm sure he was a little reluctant. He knew that God had promised this land Canaan to his family and their descendants forever, and yet they're being called away. I'm sure there was some trepidation. Sure, he was hungry, but Jacob had learned through many years not to move without a word from God. Genesis 46, verses 1 through 7, so Israel, or Jacob, set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba. There he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. That night, God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said, here I am. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, but I will also bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. So then Jacob, in verse 5, left Beersheba. The sons of Israel took their father Jacob and the wagons Pharaoh had sent to carry him, along with their dependents and their wives. They also took their cattle and possessions that they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Then Jacob and all his offspring with him came to Egypt, his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, indeed all his offsprings he brought with him to Egypt. Here we see that Jacob receives a word from God. Jacob and his dad are a lot alike. For although Joseph is in Egypt, his heart was never there. And Jacob, as he's preparing to take his whole family, he can't wait to see his son. He checks. He checks. Although I'm going down to Egypt, Lord, I don't want to get in the way of your promise. God promises not only to be with Jacob and his family, but to also bring him back. This is such a picture of believers in the New Testament church. Remember, everything in the Old Testament, this is important. Why do we learn these stories? Because everything in the Old Testament is a picture of a fulfilled promise in the New. What's the picture here? The picture is you and I, like exiles, we give our life to Christ, we're born again. The Bible says we're new creations, but we're still in this old world, going to these old jobs. Right? What happens? Our feet are firmly planted here, but our heart, our spirit isn't meant for here. So there's always a dissonance this side of heaven. That's very important that you understand that in your walk with God. A lot of people think when they give their life to Christ, when everything's just perfect, it all works out. No. The Bible says we work out our salvation this side of heaven in fear and trembling, learning, yearning, just like Christ did when he was going through the cross, yearning for a new heaven and a new earth. Our heart isn't supposed to be in this, it's in this world, but isn't of this world. Next we see Joseph is reunited with his father. Jacob, Genesis 46, 28. Now Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to prepare for his arrival at Goshen, 
When they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariots and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Joseph presented himself to him, threw his arms around him and wept with him for a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm ready to die now because I've seen your face and you are still alive. Physically, Joseph is in Egypt, but his heart never left his family. His heart never left the place for which God had called him to. Next, we see that Pharaoh honors Joseph's family. The same blessing that was on Joseph now spreads to his family. Why should you and I follow God? Why should we be faithful? Why should we keep getting up after we get knocked down? It's not just because of us. It's because in Christ, through us, even our families are blessed as well. The same blessing, right, that Pharaoh put on Joseph. You remember the ring and the coat that he lost? The favor? All of that favor was given by this Pharaoh to Joseph's family as well. Genesis 47, 11. Then Joseph settled his father and brothers in the land of Egypt and gave them property in the best of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brother, and all his father's family with food for their dependents. Genesis 47, 27, Israel settled in the land of Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property in it, look at this, and became fruitful and very numerous. Over the next 150, nearly 200 years, this family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would go from 70 people in all to a nation of millions, a nation that would change history would usher in the moral, monotheist, like moral God, the, 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 the God of the Ten Commandments. It would completely change history. If you're looking around right now and you're wondering what in the world's going on with the world, okay, we're the exception. What you're seeing right now in culture, that's the rule since the beginning of humanity. What changed that? God said, there's one God, not many gods. You don't get to pick your truth. There's only the truth, right? You don't like this God. You can just go to another God. No, 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 no. Everybody honors God. Everybody doesn't covet, doesn't murder, doesn't cheat. Does that make sense? This is important. This is a massive moment in human history. Next we see Jacob's blessing, death, and burial in Canaan. Jacob makes Joseph promise to take him back to Canaan, even though he knows he'll die in the land of Egypt. Genesis 48, now Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, and his lifespan was 147 when the time approached for him to die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, I have, if I have found favor with you, put your hand under my thigh and promise me that you will deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. When I rest with my ancestors, carry me away from Egypt and bury me in my burial place. Joseph answered, I will do what you have asked. And Jacob said, swear to me. So Joseph swore to him. Then Israel bowed in thanks at the head of his bed. Here we see Jacob again is making Joseph promise. Bible says that he made Joseph put his hand under his thigh. This was a promise. That is where reproduction happened. In case you're wondering, you better be serious about that kind of promise. Not like this, like, you know, maybe where you cross your fingers behind your back. He makes him promise. And then on the other side of his obedience, Jacob blesses him. There's a few things here. Jacob first blesses Joseph. Genesis 48 verses one and two. Sometime after this, Joseph was told, your father is weaker, so he set out with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob, got, when Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. His dad's about to die. Remember the promise, the blessing that was robbed, for him, robbed from him when he was 17 is now given to him here. Next, we see that Jacob blesses Joseph's sons in Genesis 48, 17. 
Next, we see that Jacob blesses and rebukes his sons. I'm sure there were lots of things, lots of things that Jacob knew about that his brothers, his sons didn't think he knew about. There were probably a lot of things he didn't know about. And yet here, all of this was brought right. You can read through these blessings. It's incredibly powerful to read through them on your own. Nothing gets missed by God. You see grace and mercy, but you also see justice and truth. Then Jacob dies and the family mourns. Genesis 50 verses one through three. Then Joseph, leaning over his father's face, wept and kissed him. He commanded his servants who were physicians to embalm his father. So they embalmed Israel. They took 40 days to complete this for embalming takes that long. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. A nation that would grow to oppress these people was their greatest blessing. They thrived when they were there, but they weren't meant to stay there. Everything is significant in scripture. The constant reminder, the reassurances about final wishes, the blessings of the father. Next we see Joseph reassuring his brothers. I'm sure their father just died and they probably thought to themselves, is he really over it? Was he really telling the truth? And here we see this illusion that you see throughout scripture. You can't fight it. You can't hide from it. It's this emphasis that you are judged by your fruit, not just your words. It's this truth that actions speak louder than words. And yet, Joseph says in Genesis 50, verses 20 through 21, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. It was proven out in his testimony. Next, we see that Joseph dies in Egypt. We come to the last moment in Joseph's life. In order to set the scene, we need to understand one crucial fact. This is so important. 50 years have passed from when he spoke to his brothers originally for what you meant for evil, God has made for good. 50 years past that moment. That 50 years gets one verse in all of scripture. This is so important as you and I are gleaning and learning from this book and the stories in this book. We read chapter to chapter, verse to verse. We think, man, most of life must be at the mountaintop or in the valley. The good news for both of us is it's neither. You know, I know a lot of believers, they're just waiting for that next mountaintop experience. You know, they're just crying out, waiting for that next thing while they're neglecting to do the next thing. Right? I've also met those people too. They love hanging themselves on a cross. Come on. They just love whining and moaning and complaining. It's important to know that there are times when we have to bear a cross for sure. But Jesus was only on the cross for hours. He wasn't marked. His whole life wasn't marked by being on the cross. The cross had a purpose and then he moved on. Did you know Jesus isn't on that cross anymore? Jesus isn't on that cross anymore. God takes you through things makes you stronger, prepares you for what he has for you, and then you're off the cross. It's so important. Joseph learned. Genesis 50, 22, this is the verse. So Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. 50 years, and this is it. 50 years. This is, this is one verse. That's 50 years. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. You know what the strongest things you can do? I, I, I believe this with all my heart. We have such a transient, quit people culture, quit job culture, quit church culture, right? Quit family culture, 
Quit, 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 quit. Quit, 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 quit. The world's full of quitters. That's not how the church is supposed to be marked. You know, when we talk about seasons, it's important that biblically a season is seven to 10 years. I hear Christians all the time, you know, with Christianese, talking, moving from one church to one church, one job to one job, one spouse to one spouse. Well, the season was up. Well, the season was up. Where the season was up. No, you're a quitter. <laughs> right? Think about that for just a minute. The greatest blessings in my life has not, have not come from transitions. They've come when no matter what, I've planted my feet, regardless of what people around me do it. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know what God told me to do. And until he tells me to leave, I'm staying here. 50 years, Joseph stayed in Egypt. Why? Because God put him there. God put him there. 50 years he was faithful. You see, we're all enjoying the plans, right? We're all enjoying the fruit, rather, of people who were faithful. Every one of us know this is true. Every one of us know that. You were literally, young person, hear me. You were literally standing on the shoulders of those who were faithful, more faithful than you. Why? As an example for who you should be. That's important. One verse. Joseph's final words are recorded in two places here in Genesis 50, but also in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's see what the author of Hebrews had to say about him. Hebrews 11:22. By faith, everyone say faith. faith. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, was stronger than ever, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Joseph was faithful where he was, but he always remembered where he belonged. Twice, Joseph says here, God will visit you. Joseph saw past his life into the future. That's why we're starting a school. We won't even reap the benefits of this school. There'll be some initially. It'll be 20 years. This church being established, why do you think the devil fights so hard when we put new buildings in the ground? Because it's really hard to take them out. But it's very easy to destroy something in the beginning. I remember when we first planted the church, the greatest spiritual warfare came against us. I remember when me and Kyla wanted to start a family, the greatest, greatest spiritual warfare came against us. I remember when we, when we stepped out and, and moved from the movie theater to the bingo hall. Bam! It came against us. I remember when we launched our first location. Good Lord! I don't know if I would have done it. Bam, spiritual warfare. That's what happens in your life. You're in a war right now. It's tough. You're surrounded by Christians. You're doing what God tells you to do. Good, you're in a great place for a miracle. Here we see, and this is so important, Joseph saw past into the future. There was no earthly reason to expect that once they were in Egypt, Egypt would ever let them go. And yet this is what Joseph pushed. There's no earthly reason. Egypt was not the end of the story, not for them and not for us. How could Joseph be so sure about the future? I'll tell you how. The Bible says in Revelation that you and I as believers, as we mature, our greatest days are ahead. We are most productive when we have walked through adversity. We are most productive when we are battle-tested. We are most productive in the last years of our life than we are in the beginning. You know what Joseph knew? Joseph knew the word of God to him. One word from God can change everything in your life. One word from God. One word for God. One, one word, one word. He also had a testimony. The Bible says in Revelation that it would be the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that will overcome the evil one. You know what the word of our testimony is? Oh, I've seen this before. I know exactly what this is. It's powerful. I think if you could paraphrase Hebrews eleven twenty two, it would say this. By faith, Joseph, when he was betrayed, did not become bitter. By faith, Joseph, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, did not yield. 
By faith, Joseph, when he's forgotten in prison, did not turn away from God. And by faith, when he met his brothers, he did not seek revenge. That's the story of Joseph. It's there for us. And it's so important because every single one of us are laying a foundation as an example for those who come after us. So important. As we close, it's important because Pharaohs arise that know not God, that know not Joseph. What did the children of Israel have when 150, 200 years later, a Pharaoh would arise that wasn't favorable to the children of Israel? They would have to remember this. To Hebrews, this would have been, this is a famous passage in their Bible, their Old Testament. Exodus 1, 8 through 10, a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelites were more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And when war breaks out, they rejoin our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. Why, was, why all of these chapters dedicated to the end of Joseph's life and the hinge between Genesis and Exodus for the people who came later? I want you to think about this for a moment. Let's run the clock ahead 100 years. Joseph has been dead for a long time. He's just a story around a campfire now. Here, a little Hebrew boy, hears all the stories about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. He takes it all in, and he asks one question. Mother, will we be in Egypt forever? Taking a moment to compose herself, she brushes a tear away and says, Honey, look, over there, you see that box? I see it. What's in it? It contains the bones of your great-grandfather, Joseph. The little boy walks over and eyes the box. Then the mother says, sweetheart, what does it say? He looks inside the box and peers intently at the Hebrew letters, and he reads it aloud. Bound for Canaan. Bound for Canaan. Mother, what does that mean? It means that we won't be here forever. We will go home. We will be buried in the promised land. Do you know who would have heard that story? A Hebrew boy named Moses being raised by his mother in the palace. The same palace that Joseph was in. Moses, type of Christ, would raise. You do the math. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold to the Midianites, taken to Egypt. When he died, he was at 111 years old. He was in Egypt 93 years. 93 years. We complain if we're in that crappy job for a year. Three years. Think about that for a minute. We have to get a different perspective, church, if we're going to do all that God's called us to do in our generation. Despite the fact that Joseph spent almost a century in Egypt, he never forgot who he was or where he came from. It's important. So as we close, three minutes, three points. If you're waiting to take notes, you should take them now. <laughs> leaving a legacy. What, is it, what does it look like? What does leaving a legacy look like? First, your faith is, greatest, is the greatest thing you can pass on to your children and grandchildren. Your faith is the single greatest thing you can pass on to your children and grandchildren, not your stuff. What's this mean? We gotta get serious about raising up the next generation. Not just as a church starting a school, but as a parent raising a family. This is so important. Do you care more about your kids getting into Harvard or heaven? How do you talk to them? Do you tell them how beautiful they are, how smart they are, how athletically able they are? Or do you remind them do you, do, you, do you compliment their character or their talent, right? Their integrity or their brains? 
I'm super excited. I get to marry some great friends this weekend. And as I was preparing and looking over the ceremony, I thought to myself, the Holy Spirit gave me this idea because dads, we're not smart enough to come up with this kind of stuff on our own. He said, take your little girls with you. Let them be there for everything. Let them see the rehearsal dinner. Let them see the beautiful venue. Let them see the commitment of these two wonderful people who they know, who they know love God. Let them see them join. And then tell them what I tell you to say. About what? Following God, being faithful. The covenant promise between a husband and a wife is only akin to the covenant promise between Christ and the church. We're learning about that next series. What is that? It's caring more, caring more about your kids making heaven than Harvard. That's important. It's the most important thing. Third John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. Next, don't become bitter in your old age. As you get older, you shouldn't become more bitter. That's a you problem, not a God problem. That's a you problem, not a culture problem. We, we always curse the next generation. How do you think they got there? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Boomer and Bridger. We gotta take responsibility, right? We can't become bitter. Some of you older people, you didn't get that gray hair or no hair by accident. You need to share their stories. You need to be faithful, even when they do stupid things to come alongside them. <laughs> You're still here because you learned how to put together the pieces. You should share that wisdom and that knowledge. Hebrews eleven thirteen. these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on this earth. The greatest thing you can leave is your wisdom. The greatest thing you can leave is your relationship with God. That's what Joseph was modeling. That's what he's called us to model. Finally, joy comes when you understand that God's work is bigger. Everyone say bigger. Is bigger than you. You know, one day, look around. Think about all this crap out in that yard sale. Think about all the crap in your house. Yes, I still want you to buy the crap out there. <laughs> think about all the things that you want, all the things that you have, all the things you think about. None of that will be yours one day for the Bible says you came into this world with nothing. It's your choice if you leave with nothing. The Bible doesn't say you leave it with nothing. The Bible says what you leave it with is different than what the world says is important. What you leave it with is your children. What you leave it with is your testimony. What you leave it with is the foundation for the next generation to build. The men and women in the hall of faith in Hebrews, they saw from a distance, they didn't see it all living. The Bible says that now they're in grandstands in heaven cheering us on. People always like, pastor, we need another Joseph. Nope, not gonna happen. Pastor, we need another Moses, another David. Nope. They completed God's work in their time. They're in heaven looking at us saying, now it's your turn. Why do you think my story's recorded? I'm not even here. It's recorded for you to go and to do for someone else what was done for you. What we're doing in faith, in family, in church is so much bigger than us. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, God, that you are able to complete the great work that you've started in us, in our families, in our church, in our time. I thank you, Father, what we do, what we do will be remembered. 
by those who love you. Father, that we won't leave this world worse than we found it. But Father, we'll leave it better with more light, with more truth that our kids and their kids' kids can stand on. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And we know, Father, that if we keep obeying you, we remain planted. There is nothing you can't do in our lives. We love you for that, Lord. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're in here today and you're far from God. You know, something that we've done since the beginning of our church in every service, every time, at every location, is we always provide a place and a space in our services for people who are far from God to draw near to him. Maybe you're in here today and as I open up God's word and I talk about Jesus and we learn from this incredible life, you realize that you're far from God. Maybe at some point you've given your life to Christ, but you're not following him anymore. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. As I've opened up God's word, there's a, something's compelling you to get right. That's something is called the person of the Holy Spirit. Literally, God drawing you to himself. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. Maybe you're in here today and you say, Pastor, I'm far from God, I don't want to be. I'm going to pray for you. Matter of fact, I want to lead you in a prayer right where you're sitting. I don't believe that you have to leave this place the same way that you came in, but the choice is yours. God's not a bully, he's not a tyrant, he's not going to make you do anything. You have to choose. The Bible says he's put before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He wants you to choose life, but he never takes away that choice. He gave you free will. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're in here today, you say, Pastor, I'm far from God, I don't want to be and you would want my prayer, would you just let me know that by lifting up your hand about halfway? Is anybody here who say, that's me? I'm far from God, I don't want to be, thank you. Can you just lift your hand up, let's see you, thank you. So anyone else you say, that's me, thank you. Anyone else? Before we change the order of the service, Jesus says that those who acknowledge me before my Father, and before men, I'll acknowledge before my Father. Those who don't, I won't. Is there anyone else? You say, Pastor, that's me. I'm far from God, I don't want to be. Would you pray for me? In the moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right there where you're sitting. Matter of fact, the rest of us are going to say this prayer loud so as to encourage your faith. If you raise your hand and you really meant it, allow this prayer to be an expression of why you raised your hand. Allow this prayer to be a moment of surrender where you're accepting Christ's payment for your sin on the cross. You're putting your life under the power of his resurrection. I believe God's going to meet you right where you are, but he's not going to leave you there. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer all together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day after you were killed on the cross, I believe you resurrected from the dead. I believe you defeated death once and for all to give me life once and for all. So today, of my own free will, I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together. Everybody who did that.